Welcome to the Inspired by Her Story podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Casso, travel and brand photographer and the founder of Caitlin Casso Creations, where I share other women's stories through my photographs and now this podcast. Inspired by Her Story is a podcast dedicated to inspiring, motivating, encouraging, and empowering women to get out of their comfort zones and follow their dreams. Whether it's owning their own business, experiencing something new, or making a major life change, I want to encourage other women to follow their dreams and live their lives to the fullest. Throughout this podcast, I will be sharing my own stories and those of inspirational women with hopes to let souls connect and adventures to unwind. Follow along as I take you with me during my travels, experiences, and encounters with these amazing women. Are you a business owner who's having a hard time attracting your ideal clients? Are you feeling overwhelmed and have no idea where to start when it comes to marketing? Are you tired of taking photos for your business with your cell phone? That's why I put together my brand strategy and photography program. This is for entrepreneurs who are ready to take their brands to the next level while attracting their soul clients. That's right, your soul clients. As a marketer and photographer, I help my clients find clarity within their brand create strategic messaging, and help them represent their brands in the best light possible. This 12-week program does not just help you build your dream brand, but it also provides you with a whole collection of photos to support your marketing. So what are you waiting for? Let me help you feel confident in yourself and your brand. Head over to CaitlinCasso.com or send me an email at hello at CaitlinCasso.com and we'll get you started. Today on Inspired by Her Story is Lauren Boyd. Lauren is an entrepreneur, attorney, podcast host, speaker, and proud mother-to-be who is dedicated to helping entrepreneurs gain confidence in their legal foundation. Before venturing out on her own, Lauren was in a predicament many attorneys face. She worked in corporate law, climbing the ladder negotiating more than $3 billion in international contracts but she found herself feeling uninspired and burned out. In 2018, Lauren started and scaled her own six-figure boutique law firm, Guide My Business, in less than 12 months. Through Guide My Business, Lauren empowers entrepreneurs to build a strong foundation for their businesses through relationship-focused legal advice without relying on fear-based terms. Instead, Lauren comes from a place of empowerment and education. At the heart of all she does, Lauren is driven by her passion for helping entrepreneurs own their brand and their day, which is the theme of her podcast, The Lauren Boyd Show. During this episode, Lauren talks more about the difference between a copyright and a trademark. But the benefit of copyright is truly that you don't have to do anything to own your copyright. It just vests in you and it makes it a lot easier. Trademark is not the same. Trademark is actually, you have a common law trademark, but you don't actually have the same rights that you're going to have with a federally registered trademark when it comes to infringement. How to best utilize contracts within your business. So a contract is actually just a vehicle to set expectations. It is nothing more than that. It's not this scary thing. It's not gonna interrupt your process. It's something that's truly gonna make sure that everybody is on the same page and it's gonna set you up for success in the event that you know you need to refer back to it. And how to create boundaries with your clients. Find ways to pull those pieces and those nuggets out of your contract 
and put them into, you know, we have a, you know, a workflow. And so as you begin working with us, you'll get emails and some of those emails include, Hey, this is what our work hours look like. Hey, this is our no texting policy, you know, different details for you do the same thing, incorporate those expectations into your process. Let's hear more about her journey. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. I am so honored to be joining you today. Yeah. I'm so excited to have you on. Like, first of all, I feel like you are just so easy to talk to, which is always important. I feel like, um, and then especially with the topic that we're talking to, I feel like it's going to be so helpful for so many small business owners too. So I'm super pumped for today's episode. Um, and if you can just even just start us off by telling us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Lauren Boyd. I am the founder of Guide My Business, which is a boutique law firm. And I really didn't expect to be um, in this career at all. Um, I actually went to school for finance and entrepreneurship and really sparked an interest and a passion in the law when I was in my entrepreneurship program. And so dove in, went to law school, um, worked, you know, the corporate ladder, um, did corporate law for several years, and then, you know, realized I just didn't have roots in my community. And I was feeling that like tug. I mean, if any entrepreneurs are listening to this, they know the tug, the tug on your heart. That's like, you know, there's like something else out there. Um, so I spoke with my now husband, who was then my boyfriend. And I said, I think I want to start my own law firm. And that was over three years ago now. And we have a team behind us. It's been an incredible, you know, not only like leadership experience, um, now that we're getting into having a team, but it's been so incredible to connect with entrepreneurs that are just doing such innovative things and really grow roots in our community and find a way to empower entrepreneurs so that they feel like, you know, their, their legal foundation is approachable, that they understand it, that empowers them to take kind of those like next scary steps in their business. Yeah. I love that. As you were saying that too, I was thinking how, you know, for myself, I'm also a brand photographer. So I work with other entrepreneurs as well. And there's definitely something different about the fact when you are working with entrepreneurs, because you kind of feel like you're already creating a community around what it is that you do too. And you understand each other a little bit more, right. And like, you understand, like, whether it's the hard things, the easy things, like whatever it might be. And I feel like that helps build more of a connection with the people that you're working with too. A hundred percent. I think, you know, I, I love a lot of my dear friends from law school, but you know, they went and worked at firms. And I think it's really hard to say that a traditional law firm where the attorneys, everyone gets a paycheck, where, you know, the founders have been so removed, they probably became partner. They never really actually like took, you know, the initiative to start a business can really relate to how it feels to be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of that lack of safety net and kind of the, the adventure of the journey. Um, so, you know, I do think we have a connection because, you know, they know that I understand where they're coming from. And I also think that, you know, we're, we're really serving the next generation of entrepreneurs. You know, it's not our parents, even small business. My parents were entrepreneurs. Um, Their business looked a whole lot different than, you know, being an entrepreneur looks today. And so we're able to kind of support this next generation in a way that, you know, they don't think a lot of people are going to understand them. 
and we find a way to say, you know, no, we're, we're doing that too. We absolutely understand you. We understand the, the power of photography. We understand the power of coaching. We understand the power of, you know, these digital products and digital businesses, um, you know, in a way that only another entrepreneur really could. Yeah, exactly. It's like you almost have the chance of almost working with yourself as well. Like you can see yourself in other people too, which I think is so different and very cool. Yeah. And I mean, I have to take my own advice all the time when it comes to hiring employees, mm-hmm. when it comes to trademarking my brand, like I take my own advice. And so I understand the hesitation, um, you know, and and I'm human too. Like we're, we're about to have a baby. So my husband and I are creating a will. Our, our team doesn't do it. So a friend of mine who has an incredible estate firm is doing it. And she had to send me like a little reminder, like, remember when you said you were going to do this, <laughs> like it's time, like you're running out of time. You need to get this stuff like, you know, in line. Mm-hmm. And I emailed her back and I was like, this is a really good reminder to like, for how I, my clients feel mm. when they're making these big decisions, because my husband and I have talked about it. We know exactly what we wanted to do, but like pulling the trigger felt so real. Mm. And there was this like hesitation and it like sat in my inbox. And I was like, I get it. I understand how my clients feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You get to be in their like shoes as well, which is a whole different story. So that is so cool. <laughs> and now I know you mentioned that your parents are entrepreneurs too. So did you ever think that you would own your own business one day, or do you feel like it was something that might've been outside of your comfort zone? I think I always knew I would start a business. I just didn't know what it would be. So we don't have like a a background of lawyers in our family or, or anything like that. So I never really envisioned being a lawyer. That was not my plan. Um, But I did know I would have my own business. I just hadn't, you know, I just didn't know what, what it was going to be. And, you know, when I got into law, I really stuck closely, like when I was in law school to business, then I went to corporate law. So really kept my hands in the business world because that's what I love. I really enjoy kind of the proactive nature of like transactional work, um, as it relates to businesses. And so when I was, you know, in corporate law, I was starting to think, I think I could do this for small businesses where, you know, I'm representing the interests of, you know, people in our community instead of this big corporation. And, um, and that's kind of where, where it came from. I feel like I have all, you know, like, once you're an entrepreneur, like you have all the ideas, like now I'm like, I should write a book. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to write a book about, but I think <laughs> I should write a book. I'm probably not going to, but you start to have all these, like you, you start to, when you give yourself the chance to kind of dream a little, you start to think of all of these things that would be really fun. So I think that was just like an innate in my personality was to have a business. I just didn't know how soon it would be. I didn't expect to launch a law firm at the age of, gosh, I was, I guess I would have been 20 seven. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that that's, I didn't think that was in, in the cards for me. I thought that was like something you do later in life, but I'm glad I took the scary jump sooner. Yeah. I love that. And I love how you mentioned about even supporting other entrepreneurs too, in small businesses, because it was like, especially once I started my own business, I find myself constantly just trying to find ways of supporting other small business owners too. 
you know, rather than shopping on Amazon for something, like I'll try to see if there's like a local small shop or even going to like, you know, craft fairs and stuff or open more these days. So even going there and shopping from them, but it just feels so nice to, you know, have that opportunity to create this community and also help support other small business owners. Cause once you're in it, then you want to like help everybody else too. I like that couldn't be any more true because I think it just makes you aware when you're, you know, and when you're in the corporate life and you're commuting to work and you kind of just live in that little bubble. And I found that, you know, when you're really present in your community, you start to know, oh, well, so-and-so created that and I would love to support them or, oh, that would be perfect. So, you know, we actually, for example, when we did our wedding registry, we registered only with a local business here in Arizona. We didn't do like a crate and barrel or target granted. They have such great things, but we said, you know, we don't need much. So what we would rather do is pour money back into a local entrepreneur who in turn is going to do the exact same thing. So it just felt like that was like supporting the whole you know, ecosystem, mm-hmm. um, of entrepreneurs here. And, you know, that was really important to us. So we really try to, we really try to pour back into the community. Um, to be honest, the, I, the products are better. The service is better. It's a better buying experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, truly it's, uh, you know, not that I don't love target. I do, mm-hmm. but it's just, you just feel better at the end of the day. And so that's become a big part of just our day to day too. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with you. And that is such a great idea for the registry too. I'm going to have to remember that one. Yeah. Keep that in mind because there is local like home stores that absolutely do that. And, you know, it was a wonderful introduction to a bunch of our family and friends locally and in other States that like, Hey, there's this great business that you can go to, you know, for, you know, home goods and gifts. Mm -hmm. And so it was not only supporting them when they bought our gift, but hopefully creating a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And now of course, you know, a lot of people feel that maybe the legal side of business can be a little bit uncomfortable for them, especially if that's just something that's not really in their forte, you know, maybe especially people like me who are more in like the creative field. Sometimes it's just like, Oh God, what is, I don't even know where to begin with some of this stuff. So I'd love to kind of shoot a bunch of questions at you throughout this episode, just even asking for pieces of advice that small business owners tend to have. Um, hopefully this will help them feel a little bit more comfortable in this part of their business now too. Absolutely. Let's do it. Awesome. So one of the first questions I'd love to ask you, and I also pulled or like asked a question in my Instagram stories the other day, asking my audience if they had any questions. So these are coming from them as well. And so one of the first things is when should you file an LLC? whenever you are doing any activities as a business. So I think a lot of people get hung up on the idea of, well, I'm not making money yet, or it's not profitable yet, or, you know, I'm only kind of working on the behind the scenes right now. Absolutely start your LLC. First off, it does take in most states, you'll either go to your your corporation commission or your secretary of state, depending on the state that you're in. But it generally takes about a month before you're actually going to be a registered LLC. And, you know, let's kind of, I think getting that kickstart is good in every state. The amount of money that the investment is, is different. So get, you know, so do some research, look for a .gov website, you know, Arizona corporation commission is where we go here in Arizona. 
But again, you should, you can type in your state incorporation commission or your state and secretary of state and see what's coming up on a .gov website and get some information on how much that investment's going to be. And the reason I say do it whenever you're starting any business activities in general is actually that's when you start accruing liabilities. And the whole benefit of having a limited liability company is actually it's creating an entity separate from your personal, your personal self, your family, and it's putting the liabilities and the assets of your business into that entity. And it's creating kind of this like smaller bucket of liability for your family. And so that any of the debts or liabilities of your business aren't going to impact you personally. Mm -hmm. And actually that even makes me come up with another question I didn't think of before, but maybe even what is the difference between an LLC, a sole proprietorship, an S corp, and like how to decide on which one makes most sense for your business? Okay. So I basically like to tell everyone a sole proprietorship or a partnership. So say it's you and your friend, you're just, instead of being a sole proprietor, you're a partnership. That's Mm -hmm. all All it works. It's like a default. Everyone who goes out and starts a lemonade stand is a sole proprietor or a partnership. Mm -hmm. So I want you to take the next step because there is no place where we should be treating our business like a lemonade stand. And I think that truly there is, there's a power, there's a mindset shift that comes with investing in that foundation and treating your business like a true business. For almost all the listeners out here, I really do think a limited liability company is the perfect fit. What you'll actually find out is that an S-corp is not an entity type. It is a tax election only, which means you still remain an LLC. You can't be an S-corp and be, you can't have, you can't elect to be an S-corp for tax purposes and be a sole proprietor or partnership. Mm -hmm. But if you're an LLC, you can elect to be taxed as an S-corp as opposed to kind of the pass-through taxation that we're used to under, you know, sole proprietor, you know, as a, we call it when you're an LLC, a disregarded entity or as a partnership, you're still taxed in that like very more informal pass-through way. But when you become an S-corp, that tax election is actually going to save you money in self-employment taxes. Mm-hmm. And my accountant says that the threshold is about thirty is about $50,000 profit in a year is when you should start thinking about mm-hmm. electing to be an S-corp. So you will still remain an LLC, a tax election, and your very smart accountant um, can help you with this because mine did, and I didn't actually file it myself, but it's an IRS document that gets filed that has your LLC elect to be taxed as an S corp. And that's going to give you the tax benefits of being taxed as an S corp. And the effect on that is it's actually going to have you be treat yourself as an employee. So when I became an S corp, I put myself on payroll. I was the only person on payroll at the time, but it was a really good foundation because now we have a team and we just, We just added people to payroll. So I think all of these steps are wonderful mindset shifts that you'll find that will impact, you know, it's a scary step, but it's also going to make that next step that much easier. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And thank you for explaining all that too, because now as you were saying that I kind of had like a trigger in my mind, I was like, I remember somebody specifically talking to me about this and they were saying how, I think it was 
even a client of mine, because often with working, you know, with other small business owners, sometimes you pick each other's brains too. And I'm pretty sure um, somebody was telling me like, Hey, you know, you might want to look into this in the future. I heard this from someone. I don't really know what the deal is with like, especially S corp and everything. Um, and now that just reminded me about it. Cause I totally forgot that I had that conversation. <laughs> well, that's a really good question because it's a common misconception. It's funny that you say that because I believe, I think it was this week, all the weeks are blurring together right now. We're very pregnant. So you have to forgive me if I sound out of breath when I'm talking. (laughs) Um, but when, you know, I actually had a client that said the same thing, like, okay, great. So like, and then when do I become an S corp? And I'm like, well, you know, it's people look at it as like the next step of your LLC. It's, it's, it's a layer. Just think Mm -hmm. of the S corp as a layer when you guys get to that point financially, that it's going to benefit you. If you do it too soon, it's not going to actually have any financial benefits. So like, don't do it. Cause you think like, it's the sexy thing to do, mm-hmm. do it because you're at your business is at the right point. But if you form your LLC, you're getting yourself set up for that next step. Having an LLC will allow you to go get an EIN for free. You can get the EIN from the irs.gov website immediately after you file your LLC. So you don't have to wait for the approval or the documents to be posted online. You can do it all in one fell swoop and it's free on the irs.gov website. And now you can go get a business bank account. It's just this whole, like this whole world of treating your business like a business, removing it from your personal bank account and really kind of stepping into the power of treating yourself like a business owner and a founder that's going to open up a lot of doors and opportunities. Definitely. And I think, I feel like once you start taking those steps too, is when you even start taking yourself more seriously, right? Like rather than, especially some people will start, um, well, I guess even if it is a a side business, you should still be taking these steps anyway, but you know, like maybe it's a hobby or something at first. And and you're like, uh, I don't know if this is actually going to be a business. You know, you're just kind of like, uh, it's for fun. I don't know if I'm actually going to do this. Once you start making those steps, it's like you're taking yourself more seriously. And now you have to start holding yourself accountable too, right? And like to a certain standard of, okay, now that this is legit, now that I have an LLC, now that I have a business bank account, now that I'm doing these things, I'm in it. Like I'm fully in it. Let's keep going. And you start pushing yourself more too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it just, it makes, you know, seeing those milestones, understanding where you're at, it makes it all easier. Cause if you're, you know, mixing your business expenses with your, you know, target run, Mm -hmm. it's going to be really hard to say, A, properly track all of your write-offs, but B, it's also going to be really hard to like, see where you're at and really understand the business, your, 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 the impact your business is making rather. Um, and so I think it's, it's just a really wonderful mindset. Um, I am sure we'll talk about trademarks, but I love this fact. And I think this goes along so well with what we're talking about, but they actually say that business owners that own a trademark have three times as much revenue in their business. Mm. And I don't actually believe it's a hundred percent. I do see that trademarks are a hundred percent a revenue stream, but I do not believe 
that it's, it's only purely because they own the trademark. I think it's because the people who go one step further and file a trademark are the intentional entrepreneurs that are taking their business seriously, that are, that are investing in themselves and their foundation. I think it's such, again, back to that mindset shift, Mm -hmm. all of these investments are really setting you up for success. Um, and really just having you treat your business differently and the, the way that intentionality, that proactivity, all of those things are going to be a wonderful foundation for your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And actually that's a perfect segue because that was going to be the next thing I wanted to talk <laughs> to you about was trademarking. So even if you could maybe for people who might not even know what that is. So if you could even explain what a trademark is and when is a good time for somebody to start trademarking. Yeah, absolutely. So um, basically there's kind of your intellectual property, right? We hear IP, intellectual property all the time, but it's sometimes hard for us to decide what is copyright and what is trademark. Mm. So copyright, let's think of copyright, like your content, that is your workbooks for your coaching business, your, you know, um, all of, all of the kind of the behind the scenes, the, the manuals that you have, the, Instagram content, your designs, anything that's really more of that creative, like literary work, designs, artwork, all of that's going to be copyright. And that is, you know, something that we need to take seriously and support. Copyright infringement is a huge problem. And, but the benefit of copyright is that your, your interest, your ownership of that copyright vests automatically from the moment that you create it. Does it get a little cloudy with like work made for hire when you have employees or independent contractors, a hundred percent. And we can kind of dive into that. But the benefit of copyright is truly that you don't have to do anything to own your copyright. It just vests in you and it makes it a lot easier. Trademark is not the same. Trademark is actually, you have a common law trademark, but you don't actually have the same rights that you're going to have with a federally registered trademark when it comes to infringement. So it's really, really important to actually, I say for you to fully own your brand, for you to be looking into a trademark. And one of the most important reasons why is that our content generally is the, are these big bodies of work, right? Even if we're talking about your Instagram caption, it's really hard to assume that someone else would write the exact same Instagram caption by chance right? That That you would happen to write the same thing and it would have, you know, an impact on your business if someone wrote the same thing. It's just so different. But when we come up with a brand name or a logo and we're investing so much into the brand recognition of that brand name, that phrase, that logo, it's, it, it really is important that we understand that we're the only one in our space and for our goods or services that can use that, that logo, that slogan, that brand name. Those are the three things that you would really want to trademark. Um, It's really important that you know that you have ownership of that brand because you're going to be investing a lot of time, effort, money into building brand recognition. And I don't want you to build it on a brand that you're borrowing. Maybe that you unknowingly are infringing on someone else's existing trademark. So the the real thing about trademark is it's a big due diligence process. So I actually say, again, this is kind of like your LLC. It's not when you become big, 
It's not when you make it. It's not when you start earning a ton of revenue. When you are actually going through the brand creation process, at the very least, even if you don't hire you know, an attorney that's going to do a comprehensive trademark search, we search through hundreds of hits from not only registered marks, common law marks, business listings, social media, online hits, all the things. But if at the very least you did your own due diligence and you hopped onto the USPTO.gov website and did a basic name search, if you searched through Instagram, if you did a Google search, start doing some research to make sure that no one else in your industry, that mean, meaning that they don't offer the same goods or services, is actually operating with your same brand name. Because if it's confusingly similar, that's the standard. So if it's similar enough that a consumer, a reasonable consumer would be confused as to who the source of the goods are, then it's cop- It's actually going to be trademark infringement. Mm-hmm. And I've actually had clients, I've had you know very sweet clients call me in tears. They built a very successful brand. They had you know a 30,000 plus following on Instagram. And they called me in tears because they had no clue that they were actually, they had founded their whole business on the exact same name as someone in in their exact industry who had a registered trademark. Eventually she made it big enough to where this person who maybe wasn't as tech savvy, right? They didn't have as big of an Instagram presence recognized what she, you know, what she had done and they were very sweet. She was able to pivot her brand, but there was a lot of tears because we get so emotionally attached to our brand. It's heartbreaking for someone to send you a letter. And all of a sudden you're like, it's a, it's like a a ticking time bomb, you know, to know that you don't have the ability to use your brand anymore, changing your URL, changing your Instagram handle, changing all of your branding. It's a big battle to have to do. And so doing your due diligence and really actually registering for a trademark from the beginning is going to save you a lot of that heartache. And now do trademarks, do they last a lifetime or do you pay for them for a certain period of time yearly? Like how does that work? So we'll just cover both, both copyright and trademark. Mm -hmm. So copyright lasts the, um, is going to last longer. It's going to, for a business entity or work made for hire, it can last up to 120 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and for an individual contributor, it's about 70 years, depending on how it was first published and some of the details in there Mm -hmm. for a trademark, you will be guaranteed. you, You continue to own it as long as a, you protect it. So you have to advocate for your intellectual property rights, but you do have to renew it at five years and then thereafter every 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it's something that you do have to maintain a little bit more than a copyright. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about the difference between a copyright that just automatically vests with you and a a trademark that's registered with with the government. They're making sure that you're continuing to use it because what they don't want is someone to go out there, use it once and then never touch it again and not make it available to the marketplace. So the reason that there's a renewal process there is to make sure that you're continuing to use it because only if you're continuing to use it in commerce and if you're willing to advocate for your you know, exclusive use in your industry, that's only when the government is actually gonna to wanna to protect that right. So you're just demonstrating that you're continuing to use it and protect it during those five and 10 year marks. Gotcha, okay. Cause that was something I was thinking about too was, 
Like what if somebody does a rebrand and they decide like, oh, I'm going to change, you know, my business name, or even if it's a slogan or something, and they're not even using that one that they trademarked before, like, since they're not using it, does that mean that somebody else can potentially take it then? Yeah. So if, if you don't, for example, if you don't renew either after five years or after that first five years, it's every 10, um, if you don't renew, then your rights can, can be challenged Mm -hmm. and removed. What I would suggest to those people that, you know, still, you know, own a trademark, if there's something that you can still keep in that using that brand, that's going to keep that trademark alive. Um, but one thing that we like to note, because everybody loves, like we all fall in love with our logos. I get it. Um, what we actually tell our clients is don't file a trademark with your logo, because if you can help it for those clients that are considering filing a trademark with their logo, we actually recommend only doing what's called a stylized mark. If you need that extra level of distinctiveness, because that's actually going to make your, your mark a little bit more distinctive than maybe someone else in your industry. Mm -hmm. So we're using it as a strategy. The reason I don't actually want everybody to file a stylized mark with your logo is because if you do choose to rebrand, a lot of us don't change our brand name but we often give our, our logos a refresh. Mm -hmm. So if your brand is strong enough, if your, your word mark, your mark alone, like the phrase itself, the word or phrase is strong enough on its own, I would much prefer you to file a basic word mark than to file a stylized because it gives you the ability to refresh your logo, refresh your assets, refresh your colors Mm -hmm. and do all of those things without impacting your trademark. Mm -hmm. That is so true because I feel like that is something that people change more often than not because, you know, things get a little more trendy or you just feel like you need a little bit of a refresh or something. So that is very true that five, thinking of five years for a logo sometimes can feel like a very long time or a short time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, think of even just like, you know, some of the apps on our phone, like we've seen the colors change or the style change. So if you can help it, and that's why having, you know, a team to support you through this process and tell you when you need to take those extra strategic steps can be helpful because it takes about six months to hear from the USPTO right now. Um, so you'll file your application and you'll actually like hear nothing. <laughs> you'll kind of hear crickets for like six months. And so what I often tell people is where will your business be in six months? If you feel as though you're investing a lot into your brand recognition in the next six months, it's probably best to invest in a team that can do a comprehensive trademark search for you now, because for example, with our team, you'll find out in two weeks, a whole list will be searching. Like we, like I said, we, we do a whole search, a very wide comprehensive search, and you'll actually have the, the power of more of that, you know, informed decision sooner rather than later. And we'll be making decisions like, should you file as a stylized mark? How should we file this? How should we do that? How do we make you distinctive? So your application is as strong as possible so that when we get to the six month mark and we finally hear from the USPTO, it's likely minor modifications, minor tweaks to make sure that, you know, it's exactly how the application wants it to look for them as opposed to oh, well, no, you're just too similar to this person. Sorry, because that can be really hard to tackle on your own. And often a lot of people are like, 
but I just launched, or I just paid for this, you know, incredible photography campaign, or I just paid a ton for my website or my new logo suite. And then you feel really devastated. But if you can do those things at the same time, as you're starting to create the brand, you're going to have a lot more awareness and a lot, you can make more informed decisions. Yeah, that is so true. It's always helpful, especially if you can go to somebody when you have questions too, right? Then feeling like you always have to do like some sort of Google search or hoping you're getting (laughs) the right answers. So it's nice to also have some sort of guidance there as well. Yeah. I, you know, and that's just like for everything else, right? I have a bookkeeper for a reason because for me, having someone on my team that I can get a gut check with, Mm. you know, not that she's telling me yes or no to certain investments that I'm making or whatever it may be, but she's a gut check. Like, are we being, are we being cognizant of what we're investing in? How are we spending too much money on subscriptions? Like are, are things adding up? Are we, are we really streamlined? Like, I don't have to sit there and like really worry about it myself because I've got this other person I can bounce ideas off of. Often we actually work with branding agencies um, and they'll bring their clients through the trademarking process and we'll work as a team together because collaboratively, not only can we come up with an aesthetically beautiful brand, you know, we leave that to the branding agencies, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we, we come up with a brand that they own. And when we're talking about distinctiveness and whether or not we need to file with a stylized mark and their logo, they get to have the, the benefit of both the branding agency and our team to say, well, this is what we think would probably be best. So just knowing that all of these decisions we often feel very alone in. You don't need to feel alone in them, but I do understand messy action. So if you absolutely cannot invest in a team to support you, do the due diligence. You know, just because you have the Instagram handle or the domain name is not enough. Do a basic word search on the USPTO. Look for words and phrases that are similar, not only direct hits. Look for other people who are using your name online and just see what's out there because that's going to give you a certain level of peace of mind as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And now, of course, something that I find really important to talk about too are contracts. So first of all, I'd love for you to share maybe even just why it's so important to have a contract in the first place. Um, And maybe what are certain things that you typically want to make sure are always included in contracts too. I'm sure it depends on like the business or the industry, but if there's anything specific that you feel like you should always make sure is included. Absolutely. So a contract is actually just a vehicle to set expectations. It is nothing more than that. It's not this scary thing. It's not going to interrupt your process. It's something that's truly going to make sure that everybody is on the same page And it's going to set you up for success in the event that, you know, you need to refer back to it, you know, you or the other party to say, well, what, what did we expect to happen here? And how did we expect this to go? Or, you know, in the event this happened now, what it's meant to answer those questions so that you're not left like questioning, you know, where to go. Um, So the biggest thing that I love to talk to, especially about service providers is boundaries. We Time is our, is an unrenewable resource. It's our most valuable resource. And often it's one in today's society that there are so many ways to contact us. We are available essentially all the time, right? And setting boundaries is huge for business owners. You know, office hours, communication standards. I don't want to be, I don't want a client DMing me and texting me and emailing me, you know, maybe for your business, you're like, well, I don't mind Voxer. 
but I really hate text or whatever it may be for my business and my team email is best. We have a no texting policy and we put that in our contract and we have many clients actually that, you know, I'll be honest, like when you set some of these boundaries, even as an attorney, you kind of get nervous, right? I'm a business owner. That's like, man, I really want them to know that we're approachable. Mm-hmm. But when we set these expectations, we've actually found that we've given our clients permission to do the same. So they've actually said, I love that you have a no texting policy. How do I make one of those? Mm -hmm. So thinking about your boundaries and the expectations you need to set is where you need to start when you think about a contract and expectations can be communication standards, what your process looks like, deliverables, dates, you know, how you're going to work with your, their team, all of the things. So kind of like make a running list of, of those things that you feel like are super important to the process timelines. Those hundred percent should be the backbone of your agreement. Of course, as an attorney, we do like to add things like late payment. And I was just talking with a client this week who hadn't been paid. It's now been a month and she doesn't have interest or late payment charges. And the unfortunate part about that is first, I hope you never use them, but if you do need to, the benefit of late fees is sometimes you're like, well, it's only $25, you know, a a week or whatever it is that you decide to set it at an interest rate. There's so many ways you can do it, but you, sometimes we go, ah, well, you know, it's not that much money, but if someone's not paying you the ability to increase the burden, increase the damage is very important and a big motivating factor for people to pay because the number is getting bigger on them. And another thing you should add into your late payment clause is actually cost of collections. So in the event that you need to reach out to an attorney, in the event that you have to reach out to a debt collector, Mm -hmm. that you need to spend time calling them, costs of collection is going to allow those expenses to be added to their final total. So those are really important pieces Mm -hmm. for any coaches out there. Anyone in the coaching world, disclaimers are wonderful Mm -hmm. because we can't write. Like I, I love my coach. I have a business coach. I, I love investing in coaching. I don't expect them to change my business. It's a lot to do with me and the actions that we take. And so for coaches setting the disclaimers and the expectation that you know, your clients are assuming the risk of their own actions, that you can only give them the tools, but how they actually use those are up to their own, you know, really, it's really up to them to, to incorporate into their business. And you're not responsible for lost profits or lost revenue or lost time or any of those additional things. So setting disclaimers is going to set that, that expectation lovingly and upfront. Um, for our photographers, Anything that anyone that touches the event industry, one of my favorite clauses that comes to mind um, is actually a termination clause that has to do with abuse, because I actually find that not everybody behaves themselves at events. And in the event that not only the host of the event, so if we're talking a wedding, the bride and groom, their family, but also the other vendors or the guests are abusive in any way that you actually have the ability to terminate the contract immediately and walk away. And you would have no responsibility for reimbursement and that you have just no liability for the ability to walk away. Because I think that's so important to be able to protect yourself and your team. And having a clause like that is really going to be that next level of protection. That is such a great idea. 
Oh my goodness. I feel like I have so many thoughts and questions about contracts. <laughs> um, as you were talking about all this, I was like, Ooh, Ooh, I want to say that too. I know there's so many good things to say. And it's, it, you know, there are so many things that, you know, again, it's about setting expectation. There's so many things that are, you know, universal, but there are so many things that are industry specific, mm-hmm. you know, like that vendor thing that's different, right. Mm-hmm. Then, then it would be for like my team, right. That doesn't really happen. Um, our termination clause would look a lot different, but like, I want you to be protected in your particular industry and everyone has different concerns to be thinking about. So, um, gosh, I could talk all day about this. <laughs> yeah, me too. And it's so funny because like thinking about it, um, like every photo shoot I do can be very different from each other too. Like, I mean, I focus on brand photography, so, but even every client brand photography uh, or photo shoot can be so different from each other. And then even when I do family sessions or engagement sessions or something like that, like it could be so different. And so it's funny because as you mentioned, like with the termination cause clause also, um, I'll have some clients where they even include their family in it. Cause they want some, you know, some branded mm-hmm. photos with their family in it as well. And then it's like, now those are other people I have to consider, like, how are they going to act and behave like mm-hmm. while we're doing the photo shoot too. And so, as you were saying that I was like, oh, that is so very mm-hmm. true. And it's even just staying on time and on schedule. Cause as you include more people, then it gets a little bit more chaotic and then, you know, maybe beforehand the client was like, oh, well, you know, I was on time and I did everything right. But then once you start entering more people into the photo shoot too, things can kind of change up a little bit there. Yeah. Setting the expectation that, you know, the timeline may change, setting the expectation that, you know, you also as creatives, anyone listening to this, it's a creative that you have some creative direction, that they are hiring you for the creative direction and that there's some subjectivity there. Um, Making those acknowledgements, I think are super important. And I say anything that's really important in your contract, don't assume they read it, right? Mm -hmm. Don't assume that they read it. Find ways to pull those pieces and those nuggets out of your contract and put them into, you know, we have a, you know, a workflow. And so as you begin working with us, you'll get emails. And some of those emails include, hey, this is what our work hours look like. Hey, this is our no texting policy, you know, different details for you do the same thing, incorporate those expectations into your process. Yeah, exactly. I remember when we first talked and you mentioned that to me too. And I was like, that is genius. I need to start doing that because one of the things that I've always been concerned about is, you know, my contract gets pretty lengthy and I'm like, Mm -hmm. what have they actually read? Like, have they actually read the whole thing? (laughs) Do they know what they're signing? I hope so. But are they also going to forget some of the things that, you know, are in the contract and that I did mention? Um, so that's something that I still have to like make myself do is start adding those little key things that are especially important to me into different emails, you know, like when they are receiving their final photos, um, and like all of those details that they also even ask me at the photo shoot. And we've talked about multiple times, but you know, still just as a reminder, (laughs) sometimes you need to multiple times. (laughs) Yeah. And I like how you said it's, it's about timing too. So for example, you know, your hours and your communication standards be at the beginning, but then like what to do now that you are about to, now that you have your photos, like what clause in there did you have about maybe tagging your business or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be crediting you? What information did you, do you need to put up front with that email? And just think the smaller the nuggets that you can give them throughout time when it's more time appropriate Mm -hmm. is going to be better because we're all busy people, right? So we're like, great. I'm so excited to work with her. I'm just going to go ahead and sign the contract. (laughs) And then, 
you move forward and, and you, and you forget all of the little details and you're like, when did she say she was going to send our photos again? Well, what if you had a canned email that's that went out the day of their photo shoot or the day after that's like, mm. we had so much fun shooting with you. You know, as we mentioned in our contract, you know, it's going to take us about 10 days to get you edited photos or whatever that information is. Mm-hmm. There's just wonderful ways to pull out those expectations. And of course, the benefit of this is it's saving you time. It's mm-hmm. saving you that non-renewable resource time and it's keeping your expectations consistent because I also like to remind people when it comes to, you know, since we're on the topic of like canned emails, I love a good, um, auto replace on your phone. So if you don't do texting with clients, like I do, I actually have a canned response that says, thank you so much for sending me, you know, reaching out. Um, can you please send this over to me via email so that when I'm back in the office, our team can respond, you know, email allows our team to better collaborate and support you. It's like a nice little message like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and because I find that the easier it is to set the expectation and reinforce the expectation, it, the better you're going to be, because sometimes if it's easier to break if it's easier to break the rule, the boundary, then you're not likely to be like, well, I'll just text them back. Mm-hmm. But what can you do to reinforce that boundary that makes it easier because you're more likely to stick to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. This is something that I want to work on for my business as well, um, because I have people reaching out to me in so many ways. Like email for me is like my favorite, best way of communication. I feel mm-hmm. like I live in my email. Um, but some of my clients don't, and they don't check their email at all, which can be very hard for me, um, with, to communicate back and forth. So then I also have clients that are messaging me on Facebook are DMing me on Instagram or sending me a text. And when they send those messages, I always feel like I have to reply right away where if it's an email, I feel like I can reply when I'm ready for the response, when I already am prepared or have like you know, a great response ready for them. But those instant messengers make me feel like I need to reply right away. And it doesn't necessarily mean I'm in the right state of mind or even have the best answer for them either. Yeah, absolutely. And think about it too. I always feel like with text, I'm likely to like have read it, like doing something. And now I can't, un- I can't unread it. I can't forward it. I can't save it. Like there's so many less tools available to you to do something with it mm-hmm. that like, it is very easy to forget to respond. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and then how does that look? Like you feel terrible, but it's just not the best way to communicate with our team. Mm-hmm. And that might not be true for everybody. You know, some coaches love Voxer, but they hate, um, you know, text message voice, you know, voice messages, set the expectation, know that you have the ability to do so. And oftentimes you setting this expectation, you're just giving your clients like the the rules of the, like how, how they're going to work with you. And they're just honestly, most of the time looking for direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is so true. That is very true. Um, I also have another question in regards to contracts in terms of what if it's like a trade situation? So say maybe you're not actually exchanging money and you're exchanging services of some sort. So, you know, I've done like trade photo shoots before, um, or there can be people who maybe they do a swap of services where maybe somebody's going to build their website and they're going to take their photos or, you know, do something else like that. Do you think it's still important to have a contract in place between the two of you, even if there's no money exchange? A hundred percent. And here's why you want to make sure that that exchange 
is, is equal is, is something that you're actually going to want to say like, you know, my services are worth X amount of money and your services are worth X amount of money, even if the value is the same, because what if one person just doesn't perform? You've already done your end. They haven't performed. You're going to put some language in there that it's going to say in the event that one party doesn't perform within, and you set a time period, three months, a year, whatever the reasonable time period is, you know, any outstanding services will be billed at, you know, their, their market value, because you want to make sure you have the ability to hold up the full vision of the trade. Most oftentimes it's going to work, but it should just be like, it it could be very much similar to your existing contract, but it would want to acknowledge what services you're receiving as compensation and the timeline for the expectation of those. And in the event that you don't receive them within that timeline, that you would get paid for your services in full, Mm -hmm. because that's really important. I don't want you spending again, your time and your energy, if you don't have the ability to protect yourself. And so that's actually really a very important piece. And oftentimes it's like with trades or friends, we get too casual. Mm -hmm. And I think for the best of the relationship, it's best to treat them just like everybody else, because it's making that transaction, a business transaction, not a favor. And I think sometimes we can treat trades a little too comfortably and they seem like favors, but it's not because you're doing work and they're doing work and you want to respect each other as creators and as entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And thinking of that, it helps set it more to a professional standard too. It's like, even though there's no money exchange here, we're still being like as professional as possible. And we're still looking to both do our part because now we have taken these steps and it's not just like, oh, hey, sure. Yeah. Let's just do this. And being so casual about it. Yeah. And I think oftentimes, you know, in a trade, for example, it's like, well, I'm not getting paid for it. Well, you kind of are, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are because you're getting services of value. So thinking about, you know, for example, you would hate to have, you, you know, someone think, well, well, she's not a paying client. So like, I'll get to her next week. And then you start to fall down on their priority list because you're not a paying client, you know, um, but, but you are. And so treat yourself like the professionals you are and, you know, own up to the fact that there's a a value being exchanged. That value is equal and you need to set the expectation for the timeline because if we're just handshaking, like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll get around to it. You, you truly have no defense if it doesn't go the way you're expecting it to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That is so true. And I'd love to also talk about, you know, if you were to, if you say, if somebody wanted to start expanding their business and have a team now, um, so you mentioned how, like you have a team also. So are there any sort of like different legal actions that need to take place, um, in order to actually make that happen within your business? Yeah. So the big distinction is going to be, are you hiring as an employee or as an independent contractor? Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as a, you know, 1099 employee, or independent, you know, there's not a merge. They're, they're two separate things. We need to treat them like two separate things. So if they're an independent contractor, they are a separate business. You're treating them as the individual and as a professional in that particular service that they're providing. Um, they have the ability and the discretion to, you know, provide services in the way that they provide services. You can't, you know, look over their shoulder with their hours. You know, you can't set a standard of like, well, they're going to be a 40 hour a week independent contractor. 
just doesn't work that way. If it looks like an employee, it's an employee. And that's really the way that there's so many more factors, but we all know what an employee relationship looks like. And if that's what you're looking for, you're going to need to hire them as an employee. So for an employee, I'm going to want you to have an offer letter at the very least that outlines the expectations of when they're going to be at work, what their, their compensation structure is, who owns the intellectual property that's created, set all of those expectations in the employee offer letter. How does it look for non-compete? What does it look for, for all of those pieces, right? Set that out. And that information is going to be really, really good. If you have more of a team, as you start to grow, I actually want you to have an employee handbook. And that's something that can be updated over time to reflect your company's policies with regard to, you know, holiday time or, you know, um, company equipment, travel, whatever it might be. And then for independent contractors, an independent contractor agreement. Essentially, our service agreement, if we're a service provider, your service agreement is an independent contractor agreement. Mm -hmm. But when you're hiring an independent contractor, there needs to be a service agreement. Someone's providing services. It's an independent contractor agreement. It's going to set out all those same expectations. And the biggest one for a lot of it, a lot of business owners is who owns the intellectual property mm -hmm. and how can it be used by the independent contractor? Can they tag themselves in it? Can they use it in their portfolios? What are the constraints and what does that look like? Um, being really cognizant of intellectual property and confidentiality are going to be huge in both your employee offer letter and in your independent contractor agreement. For employees, you're going to put them on payroll. You're going to have employee, you know, you're going to have to pay taxes on them. It's going to be a little bit different, but if you have a bookkeeper or you use a good, you know, system, there's systems that do all of that for you. And that's super helpful. Um, but what you don't want to do is just, you know, keep it too casual and set not set expectations. Gosh, I feel like I've had all of these exact questions this week on calls with clients, but I had someone that was like, yeah, we just didn't have an agreement. They were an independent contractor. There was no agreement. There was really no expectation other than the fact that they had been working together for, for, you know, a year or plus, and they, you know, had some, you know, well, we've been doing it this way forever that's about the best standard that they had. And you don't want to have to look back and, and have that be the only understanding. Um, well, we've always done it this way. So, you know, I guess, I guess I make X amount per hour because they've always paid me X amount per hour. That's not enough. And so getting everything in writing is going to be really good, especially when it comes to independent, you know, independent contractors, really understanding that you own the intellectual property that they're creating is going to be huge um, and really important for you because if you don't put it in writing, you may not qualify as work made for hire. And therefore your independent contractor can own the intellectual property you paid them to create. Mm. And even thinking in terms of um, you being a business owner and having a team now also, would you recommend if somebody started realizing like, oh, you know, I feel like I need some extra help with like certain areas, would you recommend that somebody starts off working with an independent contractor before hiring an employee just to also kind of feel it out and see how it is to have somebody doing like helping them with work or does it kind of depend on the situation? I think it really depends. And here's the thing. You can't hire an independent contractor full-time for like to try them out. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make them not an employee. And if they were, if you were to terminate them, 
they would probably still go to the, you know, the state and say, Hey, I was actually treated like, you know, as I was an employee, they just said I was an independent contractor and they may still file for unemployment. They may still file for, Mm -hmm. you know, some of those rights. And now your business is going to be kind of on the hook. Mm -hmm. So be very careful if you think, well, I can just try them out as an independent contractor before hiring them, Mm -hmm. because that does put your company at risk because your biggest risk is not the state's not going to come knock on your door. Your biggest risk is that that relationship isn't what you think it is. And they're going to claim that they were actually treated like an employee and that they were owed other wages and they're owed unemployment. And now you're going to be kind of working through that with the state. So personally, I've actually had, you know, a virtual assistant start with me five hours a week, and then I've scaled them up to, you know, 10 or 20 hours a week, but they always were independent. They had a team, they did things their own way, and we relied on them, you know, for the amount of hours, Um, but they weren't an employee. For some of my team members, they became an employee from day one and they were part-time. We have part-time attorneys on staff and they are paid as employees because from day one, they weren't an independent contractor. They really truly were an employee of mine. So that's how they started. So just look at kind of where they're headed, where they're going. If they're going to remain independent, of course, an independent contractor relationship you know, is a good place to start. And you can start with a a lower amount of time and scale those services up as you need them. Mm -hmm. And same thing with an employee, you can start an employee at part-time or 10 hours a week, and you can scale them up over time as well. But really ask yourself what amount of direction and control do you want to have over that individual Mm -hmm. and how they complete their work. The more control and direction you need to give them, the more they're going to be an employee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So it all depends on like what the end result is that you're looking for also and how you are scaling your business. Like, is it something you're just like, oh, I just need like a little extra help with something. Or is it where it's like, I actually want to have somebody specifically doing X, Y, and Z for me. I want them to work so many hours, um, Mm -hmm. really be a part of the team too, right? Like you kind of get a different quality of work out of people, depending on like what the position is too. Um, if they feel like they're a part of the team also. I think so too. And and I really think that, you know, for example, and I've had, and I've had an employee become an employee after being an independent contractor, because I was like, you know, oh, I need you for like this little project. And then it was like, well, actually, can you, you know, how's like five hours a week? Like, can you just like take these tasks on? And she was, you know, kind of really was a a virtual assistant. Um, And then she became, you know, she kind of, her impact with our team became so large that we were like, do you want to be an employee? Like, do you want to come on and really like, you know, be, you know, really run this part of the business. Um, and so for a while she did, and and it was a wonderful relationship that really went from a true independent contractor relationship to a true employee relationship while she was with us. And, and I think it's just knowing, you know, it's, it's knowing that, that there's fluidity, but it's knowing that, like, like you said, it's about end goals. It's about what they're creating. And sometimes, you know, this, this uh, thinking that independent contractors are easier, you know, or, oh, it's easier than an employee. It's less hassle. It's, you know, I want you to think about what's going to create the culture that you're looking to create. What's going to empower your team to show up in their best way. And if that's the security of being an employee, 
there's a lot of flexibility on how you treat an employee and, you know, you don't have to necessarily provide healthcare. You know, there's paid sick leave. It's a couple of days, you know, you don't have to provide paid vacation at first. There's so many flexibilities for you to grow and scale what that looks like as your team monetizes, but see, instead of seeing your, you know, employees as, as an expense, you really need to start thinking about them as an investment Mm -hmm. and as a revenue source, because they should be able to help you create more value in your business. Mm, Yeah. Oh, that is so good. I feel like just right there is like such a great piece of advice too, um, which leads me into, because my next question was going to be, um, if you could give, you know, one piece of advice or motivation or inspiration to someone who is starting their business, what would it be? I already feel like you gave so many pieces already, but (laughs) Well, I'll give two. One for the person who's thinking about starting. I got this piece of advice from a mentor of mine when I was like, I think I, I think I kind of want to start my own law firm. Um, she said, you're only going to regret not doing it sooner. Mm. And I think that not only goes for someone who's thinking about starting a business, but it goes for any of us that, you know, kind of knows that maybe a pivot or redirection or something new, like the newest, newest challenge for our business, you know, the ability to scale hiring, whatever it might be, knows that something is on a horizon, but maybe is putting it off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you're going to regret not doing it sooner is really good piece of advice. Um, and then really, I would say, don't be afraid to let your business evolve you know, because I think sometimes we can start our business and, or, or fail to start our business or fail to launch that new idea because we think it has to be perfect. But the reality is like your business, even if it is perfect, it's probably not going to look the same next year. Anyway, Mm -hmm. give yourself the ability to realize that things are going to evolve. And with that, of course, can't help, but say, treat your documents like a living document as your business evolves go back out there and change, you know, the expectations, update those things, set it, you know, a calendar, you know, appointment every quarter to look at your service agreement and just be like, is this how we're still doing things? Mm-hmm. Because our businesses and the way we do things evolve and we have to set ourselves up to let that naturally happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is so true. Cause I feel like this year for some reason, like so many things just keep evolving and changing in my business. I'm like adding different packages and I'm like changing how certain things are that I'm doing things. And then when I go to send like a contract to someone, I'm like, Oh wait, I haven't updated this to like, you know, portray that. So it's so true how like often you do need to go through and like update everything that you have. So it's such a good idea to like set a quarterly, like calendar event, um, to go through and do it all. And even thinking about that, cause there's so many of our clients that also do packages. If you post your packages and like the prices or the information online, or you send them a proposal first, mm-hmm. you can always reference the proposal or the, as you know, based on like the information on our website at the time of purchase, find ways that is actually like keeping the language fluid so that it's referring to the, the then current, you know, pricing or then current proposals or packages or whatever it might be. Because sometimes we're like, we, we, want to pack all of the details into one thing, but it doesn't make it actually very fluid for us to change those things. So how can you make it easier on yourself? If you know, you're always updating your packages, 
How can you refer to your packages in like the pricing or compensation structure or the, you know, details of service sec section? How can you refer to those in a way that makes it e like more fluid for you? Mm -hmm. You know, that that's a good, a good tip too. I couldn't help myself. Yeah, no, please keep them all coming. There's just <laughs> been so much greatness in this whole episode. <laughs> so many great pieces of advice. I love it. Um, and so something that I love asking everybody that I have on my podcast, because you know, the whole theme is especially getting out of your comfort zone also. So everybody is constantly getting out of their comfort zone, you know, no matter how small or large a situation might be. So what usually helps you get yourself out of your comfort zone? Ooh, okay. Well, you're, you're probably going to hate this answer. <laughs> I am like terribly decisive. Like, <laughs> and I say it that way because my husband would probably say it that way. Uh -huh. Um, I, when I make a decision, I am like very resolute in it. Um, I'm like, this is what we're doing. And I'm like, and I'm like full bore, like ready to go. Like mm -hmm. I am ready to, to jump in. So for me, I feel like I don't tend to have that problem. Mm -hmm. My problem is that like, I, want to, I, I, I can't like phase things. Like I can't give myself the grace to know not everything has to be done right now. Mm. And so for those out there, who's like resonates more with that, who's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good to like jump down, you know, that next, like I'm, my problem is I'm doing that all the time. <laughs> um, you know, remember, I think sometimes we need the reminder that we set the deadlines all oftentimes, you know, there's really a lot of my self-imposed stress and deadlines no one else knows about. Mm. They were created by me and I'm the only person that knows that they exist. For example, we're launching something to the shop and we're supposed to launch it next week. I'm like very pregnant. I've got a lot of things going on. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to launch it next week. And I'm like, says who? Oh, right. Me. I said that date. And no, we have not announced it to the world or promised anyone anything. We are not holding out on anyone if we push it back a week. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so give yourself some grace. <laughs> mm -hmm. I hear you. I do the same thing. I like putting some extra pressure on yourself of being like, but I told myself that this was going to happen by this date. And then it's like other things could end up like getting onto your schedule, onto your calendar, like something happens that you didn't expect. And then you put all this pressure on yourself to still make it happen no matter what, even though nobody knew that's what you wanted to do anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, I think like, we, you know, it's good to set deadlines for yourself and it's, you know, good to keep yourself on pace. But again, like priorities are going to evolve. The current priority this week looked different than what I thought it was going to look like when I set the deadline for myself mm -hmm. and knowing that what we're working on right now is, is more important. Like it's not a distraction, but it's truly more important than getting that other thing done is reason enough to give ourselves some grace and let that, that deadline self-imposed deadline shift, you know? Um, and so I think that's, that's a struggle for a lot of us, right. Is that like, we, we see the bigger picture and we're so excited and it's always feels like this like sprint to get there. But, you know, in reality, if I didn't launch the thing I wanted to launch until I got back from maternity leave, no one would know the difference. Mm -hmm. And would it really impact my business? No, it probably wouldn't. So we are actually looking at like, well, we didn't hit the window we wanted to hit. Actually, it might be better if we do this, this, and this all together. Mm -hmm. And then 
we launched this thing in January. Actually, I think that's going to serve the entrepreneurs better. The, when you give yourself the grace to reimagine, you mm. actually can find some beauty and some better strategy in doing it differently than we had initially anticipated. Mm-hmm, exactly. Sometimes, you know, I love to say everything happens for a reason. So sometimes like even that little thing that could have thrown things off might've happened for a reason. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. So before we move on to the last segment, which is our fast five, is there anything that we didn't get to talk to today that you wanted to talk about? Oh gosh. (laughs) Well, I could talk all day. Um, so, you know, of course, check out some of our resources. If this like piqued your interest on my podcast, the Lauren Boyd show, we talk a ton about like little snippets, like answering some of these questions. And you might find something that really resonates with your particular business. Cause I feel like we covered so many good things today. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I don't like, there's not this like burning thing. I feel like I need to tell everyone in general. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we talked about boundaries. We talked about owning your brand. We talked about, you know, letting your business evolve. Um, and I think those are all like really some of the most important things. And I think the more we can be thinking about those, the more aware we're going to be when like, we should be thinking about something else. It's kind of like, now we've got the, like, you've got the base understanding. Now you'll have the the benefit of the red flags when something does come up mm-hmm. and you can, can look at more into that information at that time. Mm-hmm. Cause don't remember rem, a reminder for people, not everything has to happen at once, mm-hmm. you know, give yourself some grace. You haven't, maybe you haven't used a contract okay, maybe now is the time. Don't beat yourself up that you haven't used one yet. Be thankful that you haven't needed one, that something hasn't come up, but you know, um, don't, don't beat yourself up over the things that you didn't do. Just start moving in the direction. That's going to give you more peace of mind and protect yourself. Mm, Yes. I love that. Oh, that's so good. And if you could also share with everybody where they can find you too, and then even about your shop too, because I know that would be a great resource for people too. Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at the Lauren Boyd. Um, and you know, because businesses evolve, we are also relaunching our Instagram guide, my business, which is going to be really the place for all of the legal tips. So check both of those out. Um, and on our shop on the lordboyd.com, we actually have a library of contract templates, everything from independent contractor agreements. We, um, will be launching more employee related resources, we have podcast guest releases. We have non-disclosures. We have coaching agreements, mastermind agreements, um, online course agreements, a variety of different resources to help you set expectations in your particular industry. Um, so that would be an excellent resource for those people who in the, the DIY stage of their journey. It's going to be resources that you can use right now in your business. They have not only templates, but we actually have um, implementation guides, which is like how to, because I don't want you to only have a contract. I want you to know how to actually get, get using it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also a video tutorial where we kind of walk you through filling it out. So really great resource. And then again, my, my um, podcast, the Lauren Boyd show, we talk a lot about, you know, the little tidbits, little lessons when it comes to the legal foundations of your business. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Such good stuff. Oh, I know everyone's going to benefit so much from it. Excited. So now we're going to move on to the fast five where I'm going to ask you a question and you're going to answer with either a word or a phrase that first comes to mind. And I will be honest, it's not as fast as it should be. 
Um, <laughs> I feel like every time I do this, everyone's like, that's not a fast fight. I know. I know. Um, I can't help myself. I like the juicy stuff. Um, so the first question is what helps you find inner confidence? I'm going to have to say, you know, I am, I'm kind of like a bigger picture, big, big picture person. So I think I, if I find a lot of confidence in knowing that something's serving kind of like the big picture, mm-hmm. um, because then I can kind of say like, I feel resolute. Like I feel like the decision is the right decision or how I'm showing up is the right thing when I see how that really aligns with the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. It's a good one. Um, the next question is what or who inspires you? Oh gosh. So many people, this is a hard one. <laughs> um, you know, I think for me, it's, it's about knowing that, you know, it's not about getting inspiration from only one source. It's really about finding different people to pour into your business, your life and your business, um, that serve different purposes at different seasons of life and business. Um, so for me, I mean, there's a lot of things that like my husband does and, you know, our business, our lives are, you know, our professional lives are very different, but the way he approaches things like influences me to do things, you know, differently and better in my, you know, life and business. Um, and same thing with, you know, surrounding yourself with really strong women who are not afraid to talk about like the uncomfortable parts of owning a business because, you know, that vulnerability, I think is really important and and it really helps, I don't know, it helps move the needle. It helps you not feel so alone. Um, and that alone can be really inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yes, I totally agree. I feel like it's so important to surround yourself by like-minded people, inspirational people, people who motivate you and encourage you to, and there's just so much you could get out of all of it. So yeah. Important. And you know what, one thing I'm going to challenge you on, because I, this is something I've challenged myself on is I, I was saying the word like-minded all the time, but like, mm. like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, I don't want to surround myself with like-minded people. I want to surround myself with people who think differently than I do, who know more than I do, because I think sometimes there's a comfort in like-minded people mm-hmm. or people at the same stage as us, but also think like putting yourself in positions that feel uncomfortable. And that, that to me has been a really big shift this year. And I've really enjoyed it. Mm, it's so true. Cause then they could also help challenge you as well. Oh yes. Love a good challenge. I like that. I'm going to start thinking of that more. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> um, and so the next question is what is a hobby that you have outside of your business? <laughs> Maybe this will resonate with a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right now I'm growing a human. That's my hobby. Um, I'm being really crafty right now, making a whole human being. Um, I feel like that's what we've been really getting ready is for right now. It's been about, we moved in February of 2021. Um, and you know, shortly after found out we were pregnant. So I feel like it's been like getting our house ready, like, you know, picking out the pillows and, you know, getting the nursery ready and getting the things. And so I, I think for us, like, that's been like a true joy for us, kind of like you know, my husband's messing around with the landscaping, you know, just really making our house, our new house, a home, um, has been big for us and and getting it ready for baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so important to do. And is so like, it 
kind of takes you away from, you know, work also, and you can enjoy decorating and, you know, getting everything else set up and everything too. And it's fun to like get creative. Like we just did my office and we did like really fun wallpaper and fun pictures, like creating these environments. I think for me, I love like what I wanted to do in this new house was create environments that felt good, that had like a different energy to them, like so that our rooms felt different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had a lot of fun with that, like, cause that I think pours into all the parts of our day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So true. It is so true. And as a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I'm pretty sure I wanted to be a pediatrician. Um, and honestly, I've always wanted to be a mom. That's been, I've always wanted to be a mom. So, um, but I don't know if I ever envisioned being a stay at home mom. My, my mom was for a large, large part of my childhood. Um, but when I was little, I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician. Now the closest thing I get to like science or medical is, um, Grey's Anatomy. Yes. I'm still watching because I've watched this long. I need to see how it ends. Um, but yeah. And we're like looking for a pediatrician. So I think things have kind of come full circle. Um, but yeah, no, I never pursued anything with them in the medical field, but I think when I was young, I just, that really intrigued me. Um, but I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing right now instead. Mm-hmm. I love it. I always love seeing what people, especially kids, you can have so many ideas of what you want to be when you grow up. So it's always fun hearing. <laughs> and now this one is totally not a fast five. Um, but I love this question because being a photographer, I love asking my guests this. So if you could capture one specific moment that represents your life through photograph, what would it be? Oh my gosh. This is a hard question. I know. I think I'm gonna have to move it up to like the main question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, it's such a good question. You know, I, I think what I, what I struggle with is that like, it's, it's so season of life specific. I think the first thing that popped into my head when you asked the question was like, I pictured like a picture of me and my husband, like in the hospital with our our little baby girl, like, Cause that's like the next, that's like the next thing that's like on my mind, like the next milestone that like represents like our full family. Um, so that's like what I automatically picture, but then I'm like, that's, that's going to be a sweet moment for then. But like life is just continuing. I feel like to get better and, you know, our, our circle is just expanding. And so just, I don't know, like that's what I picture right now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like soon it'll be like the next milestone. Um, but I feel like it'll always be more about our family. Um, mm-hmm. I love my business, but I started my business so that I could be there for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think everything's always going to come back to family. Yeah. I love that. So well said. I love it. And thank you so much for joining me today and taking the time to answer so many questions that I had. Um, I know that it has helped me so much and I know it's going to really help all of the listeners as well. So thank you so much for taking the time and being on here. So I had so much fun. This was, we are going to have to do it again. Maybe your listeners can ask us some more questions and we can jump on and do it one more time because this was really enjoyable. Thank you so much for having me. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to the Inspired by Her Story podcast. I hope you found some inspiration, motivation, encouragement, and empowerment to get you out of your comfort zone and live your life to the fullest. 
Make sure to follow, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and follow the podcast at Inspired by Her Story on Instagram. Follow my brand photography on Instagram at Caitlin Casso Creations and come along with me during my travels at Caitlin Casso. Go ahead and share the podcast with a friend and take these stories with you to make the changes in your life that you've been looking for. Stay tuned for the next Inspired by Her Story episode.